You are listening to a 14-week teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Acts. Luke, the author of Acts, tells us in chapter 1, verse 1, that the Gospels were only the beginning of all Jesus did and taught. The book of Acts is the continuation of Jesus' ministry on earth through the church, and this story is continuing today. This sermon series will address key themes in the book of Acts and connect them with our lives today. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. So we're continuing our series in Acts, Unfinished Business today, and I'm going to be talking about God's mission in prayer. And uh, I feel like I'm starting to realize a theme that when I preach, uh, the week before I preach, God ends up challenging me personally on what I preach about, uh, which is, is starting to get difficult um, I, a couple weeks ago, I was looking at the preaching calendar, and I thought, okay, in two weeks, I'm preaching on prayer. I've got this. No problem. I've, like, read the books on prayer. I, I pray, you know. How, how hard can this be? This will be, be a piece of cake. So this past week, I, uh, uh, in addition to being a pastor, I do some freelance computer programming on the side. Uh, it's what I, what I originally went to university for. So this this past couple months, I've been working on a programming project, and uh, it's got a pretty tight deadline. And so this last week, I've, I've been putting in a lot of hours trying to get things moved forward, trying to get this closer to finished, because uh, it needs to be finished next week. And so Wednesday, just started feeling the weight of this, this project. I was like looking at everything that still had to be done and looking at how many days I had left to do it and thinking, I don't know if this is going to happen. This may not get done. And so I'm, I'm working long hours and getting frustrated, like my fuse is growing ever shorter with the kids and with Shannon. And so after just a really frustrating day on Wednesday, I looked at Shannon and I said, look, would, would you pray with me tonight? And she had like very graciously hinted at praying together early in the week, like, hey, maybe we should pray about this. And I'm like, oh, it'll be fine. So, so Wednesday, I'm like, hey, would you pray for me? And with a, with a sigh of relief, she says, yeah, I'd love to pray with you. And so we, we finally get the kids to bed after kind of the whole routine, and I want to drink a water, and I have to go to the bathroom, and okay, the kids are to bed. And so um, we finally sit down in our chairs, and, um, and, and Shannon prays a little bit for me and just the situation, and I, I'm sitting there, and I, I can't get the words out, like nothing's coming out. I just feel so like frustrated and so at the end of my rope and worrying about this thing, and, and thinking, I don't, even, I don't even know what to pray. I can't, I can't get this out. And, uh, and it also in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, great, I have to preach about prayer, and I can't even pray. Like, this is a problem. This is a big deal. So I don't even know, like, I'm a young pastor. I don't even know if I'm allowed to admit this stuff to you guys. Hopefully you guys can have grace for me. Um, but I suspect maybe I'm not the only person who's ever felt like so frustrated that you just can't even pray or you don't know what to pray, right? I mean, maybe, maybe it's for you. Maybe it's been a particularly stressful time at work and you've had people who work for you just walk out on you or not, not pull their weight and you're left holding, holding the bag and you think, how am I going to do this? We've got to come through, but I, you know, these guys dropped the ball or maybe you overcommitted yourself to something and you're thinking, oh, I, I thought I could do this. I thought I could handle it. But now, now look, I don't know if I can handle it. Or maybe, maybe you're in school. Maybe it's a school project 
And, you know, you got the syllabus and the deadline, you're like, oh, that's a month away, there's plenty of time. And now you're looking at your calendar and you're like, that project's due tomorrow, what am I going to do? Or, or maybe it's a, a relationship and a relative and you say, yeah, that's, you know, your birthday or that's a special day, I'm going to be there for you. And then a week before you look at your calendar and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't be there. I told him I was going to be there and I'm not going to be there. And so all these worries start hitting, right? It feels like this storm or this attack that you're in the middle of these circumstances and uh, you're like, how, how can I deal with this? I don't even like, okay, we're supposed to pray, but I don't even know what to pray. I don't even know how to pray. I don't even feel like maybe I should pray or I'm, am I allowed to pray for this stuff? Like, I got myself into this mess. Is God even going to listen? Is he going to care? But uh, the, the passage of Scripture we're going to get into, I think, is, is particularly helpful uh, for us today. And just to set things up for you, so we're going to be looking into the life of the early church, the first church uh, that ever existed. And what's going on here? So Jesus, he died on the cross. He rose again to new life. He appeared to his disciples. They're like, oh my goodness, we thought you were dead. We thought this was all over. Jesus is like, no, I'm not dead. See, I rose. I told you I was going to do this. And so everything's going good. And then Jesus says, okay, guys, um, I'm leaving. And they're like, what? You just came back to life. You need to stay here. We need you. We can't do this without you. And he's like, no, it's cool. I'm going to leave. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. It's actually going to be better that I leave because you'll have the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to leave you well taken care of. And so the disciples, they're not sure. They're like, we don't know about this. But Jesus leaves, and uh, the disciples are huddled in this room. The doors are locked. The shades are drawn, and the Holy Spirit comes. And we talked about that last week. We heard from Brian uh, about the Holy Spirit empowering them, giving them fresh boldness. And so the Holy Spirit comes, and they throw open the doors they run out into the streets and they're, they're telling everybody about Jesus, about how he's living, how he's the king, how he has forgiveness. And that one day, it, uh, the Bible says 3,000 men came to follow Jesus and join the church. And, uh, and probably, I mean, usually back in that time, they only recorded males. That was kind of how they kept statistics. So uh, theologians say, hey, probably there was like another four or 5,000 at least women and children. So Probably pretty close to 10,000 people were saved and added to the church. So I don't know what your idea of like an exciting church meeting is, but I think if 10,000 people just like decided to walk through those doors and were like, hey, we're following Jesus now, that would be an exciting day, right? So things are going awesome. There's stories about uh, God healing people, about lame people walking, all kinds of stuff that's like, wow, God's doing stuff. This is good. Uh, but then in chapter 4, uh, Peter and John, a couple of the early church leaders, uh, they pray for a guy. He gets healed. Uh, but then the religious leaders see this, and they don't really like what's going on. They're, they don't think that Jesus rose from the dead. They don't, didn't believe in Jesus' teaching. So they take John and Peter into custody, and they say, Look, guys, you cannot talk about Jesus anymore. And Peter and John are like, Okay, we're going to talk about Jesus. He just healed this guy. He's alive. We're going to, we're going to do this. And the, and the religious leaders start threatening them. They say, look, you, if you talk more about Jesus, we're going, to, we're going to harm you. We're going to remove you from society. We're going to ruin your lives. Like all these kind of threats. Um, but the religious leaders are, are also afraid of what the crowd's going to do if they throw these guys in jail. So they, 
They do as, as much mean threatening as they can and then say, all right, don't talk about Jesus, just get out of here. And so this, this is where we're picking up the story here. So we're going to be in Acts 4, um, verses 23. <clears throat> this is right after Peter and John were released uh, from being in custody. So it says, when they were released, uh, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So this is, this, is, this is their response to difficult circumstances. So I think, I think prayer actually, I mean, prayer is, prayer is talking to God. There's no, there's no formula to it. It's not like, okay, if I say all these right words, then God's going to give me what I'm asking for. No, it's a, it's a relationship like we heard from Kathy this morning. It's, it's drawing close to God. It's like, it's like talking to a friend. Um, it just happens to be a friend who, you know, controls the universes and is in control of everything, right? But we, we have that invitation from God. We can just talk to him. So we're not going to take these scriptures and try to come up with like this formula. If we pray this way, God will give us what we want. But I think there's some encouragement for us in, in what it means to pray and how we can come before God in prayer. And so I think, as I was thinking about this, I think prayer is a lot like kind of a fight. You know, pray, I don't know if you've ever tried to, like, sit down and pray. Praying is hard sometimes. It feels like it should be easy, right? But I've, I've come to find out the times when I need prayer the most, like this week, that's when it's the hardest to pray. That's when I, like, everything in me is like, oh, I don't, feel like I can pray. I, I'm not even sure I want to pray right now. That's, that's when we need it the most, right? And so I'm, I'm no expert in like karate or self-defense, um, but I know that uh, one of the most important things when you're defending yourself is your, is your stance, like how your feet are planted on the ground, okay? So if you, if you go into a fight and you're, you're like standing like this with your feet together, kind of like this, like, you're going to get knocked over, man. It, do, it doesn't matter how hard your right hook is. If that person comes at you, you're going to, you know, you've got no balance. You've got no traction. But uh, if, you, if you're planted, if you, you know, you got your knees bent, your feet apart, when something comes at you, when the storm hits you, when that person is coming after you, you can, you can stand. You can withstand the heat. And I think prayer, uh, what we see in this, uh, in this early church, they've got their feet planted when they're, when they're praying. So they've got their left foot planted in the sovereignty of God. God, you're in control. 
And they've got their right foot planted in the will of God, the things that God wants. And so, so the sovereignty of God. Check, check out this verse again. How, how they start in prayer. So they say, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and they said, Sovereign Lord. So sovereign, the word sovereign means God, you're the king. You're in control. They go on to say, you made the heavens and the earth. You made the sea and everything. And, and down in verse, uh, let's see, down in verse 27 and 28, they say, look, there's all these people, God, that are gathered against Jesus. There's all these people that are against us. Verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined. So they're saying, look, God, all this bad stuff that's happening, you're in control of it. This is, this is a, really important, uh, a really important way to start prayer, recognizing that, hey, God, you're in control. And that's, that's maybe the, the hardest thing in coming to prayer. And, and essentially what prayer actually is, because prayer is saying, hey, God, I'm not in control of my life. You're in control. That's why I'm even talking to you. Because I, I realize I am not in control of this. And, uh, and that maybe is, is the most scary thing when praying as well. Admitting, hey, I'm, I'm not in control. Um, and I think, I'll, I'll say this. I mean, I think if we took a straw poll in here, if I had everybody raise their hand and say, okay, do you believe that God's in control? I think we would raise our hands. I mean, that's like, that's the Christian answer, right? Of course God's in control. He's God. That's what it's all about. But I, I think maybe we, I've noticed in my life and, and other people's lives, we, we say things that sound humble like, okay, I know God's in control, but I'm the one who got myself into this mess, so I should be the one to get myself out. Or we say things like, well, God, God's really busy. Like, surely he has more important things to deal with than my problems, right? There's, there's people starving in Africa. There's in the Middle East with, with ISIS and people getting executed for their faith. Like, that's a big deal. What I'm dealing with, it's, it's not like that. So I don't, I don't think God, you know, I don't think it's that big of a deal to God. Right? That sounds kind of humble, right? Sounds like, oh, you know, I'm trying to put things in perspective. But actually, can you hear, can you hear the message underneath that? The message that, that, you, that we're saying is, hey, God, I, I think I still need to be in control of this part of my life. I, I either still want to be in control or I think I, I ought to be. I think I deserve to be in control. God, I don't, I don't think you care, or I don't think you're involved in this part of my life. Right? That's, that's, this is, this is a, a dangerous thing to be in. But, but so often, our emotions are telling us, oh, it's your, it's your fault you got into this. You should get out of this. We've, the circumstances are, are telling us, hey, God is not in control. Look at this mess. How can God be in control of this? This is crazy. And we've, got, we've got emotions speaking to us left and right. And I think emotions actually can be really helpful. They can be helpful indicators of where our heart's at. And um, so I used to, um, years ago, I used to run. I used to be a jogger. And I would run races and uh, I ended up training and ran a couple marathons. 
And so uh, one, one of the things about running marathons is, uh, that I learned anyway, you have to pay attention to, to like the aches and pains and the stuff that's going on in your body. And so um, I'd be running a race or running a training, running a training run, and, you know, I'd, things would start to hurt. It just happens. Running's, running was not particularly fun for me. I wanted to do it so I could, like, accomplish, so I could finish it. It wasn't because I just enjoy exercise. Um, those people are crazy. <laughs> don't, don't listen to those people. They don't know what they're talking about. Um, so you'd be out running, you know, and your legs would start to hurt. You'd start to feel tired, and I'd think, okay, no, I've just got to push through. Like, I can't, I can't listen to my feelings because if you stop every time it hurts, like, you're, ne- you're never going to run far at all. You've just got to push through. Uh, but one day, I was, I was on a training run in St. Louis, and it was, it was a particularly rough day. I mean, it was sleeting, and I was like, I've got to get this run in. I can't remember if I'd maybe skipped a run that week. I just thought, no, I've got to do this. And so I started running, <coughs> and it was, a, it was a long one. I think it was like 18 miles. And so about halfway through, um, halfway through, my legs started hurting. And, uh, and I thought, okay, I've, you know, I've done this before. I've ran this far before. I'm going to push through. And so I just ignored it, and I kept running. And so I get done with the run, and I, I start to walk, and I realize that I can't walk, that I'm, I'm like hobbling. And so I kind of like drag myself, hobble to the car and drive home and just my legs in a lot of pain. And um, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what happened. I never went and saw a doctor because, um, I mean, I'm a guy and we don't go to doctors. But um, <clears throat> I, th- I, think what ha- I think I damaged a muscle in my leg. And so I ended up having to cancel out of the race that I was scheduled to run. And since then, I've actually never been able to run more than four or five miles and you may think, four or five miles, shoot, that's a long ways. But I, I'd been running, I'd run a couple marathons. I'd run like 20 miles before. And so this is like, what? I can only run four or five miles? What's going on? And, but I think, I think what happened, my body was giving me signals. My, my leg had started to hurt. My body is saying, hey, you're, there's something wrong here. You're doing damage. And, and I'm trying to tell you, you need to stop. You need to take a break. And I'm like, whatever, I can get through this. I pushed through, and I ended up hurting myself, and I, ha- I haven't been able to run since. And I think our, our emotions can be like that. There's a lot of times when our emotions, you know, you have a long day at work, maybe you, you didn't get a good night's sleep, and so emotions are running high, and you're, you're just worried, you're feeling down in the dumps. And so maybe you think, okay, I've just got to push through. It was just a rough day. And uh, if I can get through this day, if I can get a good night's sleep tonight, it'll be all right. And you push through, and that's good, right? But sometimes, sometimes our emotions give us warning signals. Like, hey, so you're doing something here that's going to cause damage. And if, if we ignore our emotions in times like that, we end up damaging our heart. And, and, and we, we get these wounds that, that hold us back later on that keep popping up in certain situations. Oh, what's, oh, it's still tender. I still, I still, it's still painful. And so I think it's helpful for us when we're in a situation when we feel like, oh, I don't feel like I can pray, to, to ask ourselves, why, why is that? Why don't I feel like I can come to God right now? Am I, do, I, do I really believe that God is in control? Like, not just do I say those words, oh yeah, God, you're in control, 
because that's what I'm supposed to say when I pray, because that's what we say. Now, do I believe that God's in control? Do I believe that he's in control of this mess that's in front of me? Do, do I believe that he's in control of the mess that I got myself into? Is God working all things out for good? Do I believe that? We have to ask ourselves that. We have to have friends around us who can ask us these hard questions. Right? That's, that's what a real friend is. Not just someone to give you a hug when everything's going good. Someone who can say, look, what's, what's going on in your life right now? You're, you're worrying a lot. Do you, are you trusting God, like for real? Because you, you say you are, but it doesn't look like it. We, we've, got, we've got to ask ourselves, do we trust God? And then, and then remind ourselves, God, hey, you, you made everything. You made, you made the mountains, you made the oceans. You started it all, God. You're the one responsible for all this. You're still in control. Just like the early church is reminding themselves, God, you're the God who's in control. You're in control of it all. Left foot planted in the sovereignty of God. And then they plant, the early church plants their right foot in the will of God, the purposes of God. Uh, so we talked uh, earlier, I started out giving just kind of a brief history of the church. And Jesus, uh, right before he ascends into heaven, he gives uh, his disciples, the very first church, he gives them his final uh, command, his final decree. He says, guys, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. This is, this is my plan for you. This is why I died. This is why I rose again. It's because I want everybody to hear the good news that I forgive, that I love. Go into all the world and tell everybody the good news. This is, this is God's plan. And actually, when we think about it, it's, it's a pretty sobering plan, right? Because, so for like, for work, if you're, if you're working and you miss a deadline, you know, maybe, maybe you won't get a bonus. Maybe your reputation will suffer. Maybe you'll get fired. I mean, it's not good stuff, right? It's not good. Um, but, it's, but you can get another job. You can, you can make more money. You can rebuild your reputation. Maybe, maybe in school, if you miss a project, uh, if you fail a class, you know, it's not good. It'll, you, maybe you have to go to summer school. Maybe you have to like, put in some extra hours to do that homework or go after class to visit with the teacher. Just put in extra work. But it's, <coughs> it's a class. You know, there's more classes. So what, what God has called us to do, God's saying, look, there's, there's people outside these walls who don't know that I love and accept them, who don't know that I have hope for them to, to live a life free of guilt and shame. They don't, have, they don't have to wake up in the morning feeling guilty for what they've done. They can, they can be in right relationship with me. The, the message we have of, hey, come to God, experience forgiveness, it's not just a momentary thing. It's not just something that will make someone happy for a moment and, oh, pat on the back and feel good about themselves. No, when, when God's message transforms people's hearts, people go from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Their eternities are transformed forever. And so not that, not, that pressure, not that the pressure we face isn't real. The pressure we face on a daily basis is very real. 
And it's very difficult. But the thing that God's called us into has eternal significance. We're, we're called to affect people's forevers, to affect people's eternities. And maybe, maybe you are the only chance that your neighbor has to hear about Jesus and how he loves them. Maybe that's it. Maybe you're their only shot. Maybe God's put you in that house, put you in that job, put you in that class just so you can tell the person next to you, hey, God loves you. He forgives you. There's hope. Maybe you're their only shot. That's, this is huge. This is so much bigger than anything. And I think, I think God puts in us a deep longing to be significant, to, to, to do things that are beyond ourselves. We want to make a difference. I know just looking back on life, you think, man, I want to do something that me, I want to pass on something to the next generation, to my kids or to, you know, my, <clears throat> my business. I want to do something that matters. What, what matters more than inviting someone into eternal life with God? This, what, what God calls us into is huge. There's, there's a weight to this. I mean, do, do, we feel, do we feel the weight of what God's called us into? This is big. If we, if we mess this up, guys, if we, if we get distracted by things that are just side issues, like, you know, having good music on Sunday or having good coffee or good programs, if we get, if we get distracted, if we don't keep the mission of God the main thing, people who God wants to hear about His Son and His love may not hear about that if we, if we miss what we're doing here, what we're meant to be as the church. This is, this is a weighty thing. And so I, I think, I mean, I, I'm, even as I was preparing, I'm asking myself, do I get this, God? Do I get this in my heart? Do I understand the sobering reality of what you're calling us to? And I think, I think actually the only appropriate response when we realize that what God's called us into is prayer. Because if we get, hey, people are, people are living their lives without God, and, it's, and God's asked me to tell them, that's terrifying. Like, that is, a, that is a weighty thing. I think prayer is the only appropriate response. God, what have, you, what have you called us into? What are you doing, God? What were you thinking? We cannot do this on our own. We need your help. We have to have your help. And I think, I think the early church, they got this. And I mean, honestly, if I, if I were in their situation, I don't know that I would pray what they pray. I, I suspect, I mean, you never really know until you're in that situation. I suspect that I would pray for protection because these guys are threatening me. I suspect that I would pray for, you know, maybe pray for the government, pray for peace, pray that things would get worked out so that Christianity could be more acceptable. The early church doesn't pray for any of those things. Not that, not that peace is not a good thing to pray for. It is a good thing to pray for. Not that the government, we, we want people who honor God in all phases of life, including the government. But their first, the first thing they pray for, they say, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So, 
So the early church, these people realize the one thing that can stop God's plan, it's not the threats from the religious leaders. It's not the government that's persecuting me. The one thing that can stop God's plan is me. That's the only thing. The one thing that can stop my neighbor hearing about the good news of Jesus is me. If I don't say anything, I stop God's plan in their hearts. That's the one thing. Persecution can't stop it. People speaking out bad against us can't stop it. Can't stop the message of God. Only, only us. Only we can stop it. And, and these guys realized that. They said, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. God, help us to obey your plan. In spite of all this that's going on in front of us, God, we still want to obey you. And we need, we need your help because we can't do this on our own. We're, we're too scared, God, and we need boldness. We don't feel up to the task. And the most, the most beautiful thing about prayer, the whole reason why I'm even talking about prayer is that God answers. It's the, it's the craziest thing. We, we don't just pray because that's what religious people do. God answers prayer. And, they, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They had, they had their left foot planted in God's sovereignty. God, you're in control. You've set all this up. Their right foot planted in God's purpose, his will. Hey, God, you, you want your message to go out. You want people to hear about you. We don't have what we need. Help us, help us to follow your plan and your will. And God says, yes. Gives them the boldness, shakes the place. And they continue to speak. God continues to heal people. And, and I think <clears throat> on top of this, the, the, another amazing thing about prayer is that, that Jesus himself is praying for us. It says, says in Hebrews that we, we have a great high priest who intercedes for us. So even, even if there are times like me this week where you feel like, I don't even know what to pray. I don't even know the words to get out. Jesus knows the words, and he's already praying for you. Or maybe, maybe you're praying the words and you're thinking, should I even be praying for this? I don't even know if this is a good thing to pray for. Well, it's all right, because Jesus knows the good thing to pray for, and he's praying that for you. Right? We, ha- we have a great high priest. He loves us. He's, he is interceding for us. And, and God answers time and time again. I can't, I mean, it, I could just start listing off things in my life. Things that I even like prayed for like off the cuff. I wasn't even like seriously praying. It was just like, God, you know, help me with this. Nah. And then like two weeks later, God's like, hey, remember when you asked that? Look, I did it. Like, what? I wasn't even serious. That's scary. <laughs> God, God, God answers prayer. He hears us. He loves us. <clears throat> it's, it's an amazing thing. 